Welcome everyone to episode six of our new podcast interview series entitled Shreveport Bossier, My City, My Community, My Home. I'm Jeffrey Goodman. I'm the Director of Marketing and Development here at the YMCA and I'm very proud to have today's guest, Dr. Kina Franklin. Dr. Franklin, thanks for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So, um, you are the Assistant Provost of Diversity, Inclusion, and Community Engagement at LSUS. Absolutely. That's a mouthful, isn't it? No. Well, we can do what my students do. I love this about students. They always break things down. They simply call me Dr. Dice. Dr. Dice, which uh, is for diversity, inclusion, and community. I love it. Yes, yes. So I I read that you had been on the faculty at LSUS since 1990. Yes, I started when I was 12, of course. <laughs> and and when I, two years. And, and when I read that, it made me think of a comment I recently heard. We recently had a a panel discussion at the Y and someone made the comment that she had moved away for 17 years and that when she moved back in 2008 she couldn't believe how many great strides we had made in a number of different areas of our community. Yet from her perspective the one area where we had made no progress at all was with regards to our unity. From your perspective, have we made progress here with race relations in the 32 years since you've been at LSUS? I would definitely say yes, we've made progress, but I would also have to answer that by saying that we are definitely uh, not where we should be. We have not reached the destination that many of us are or would be pleased with. And you can just look at uh, the disparities that exist and they would confirm for you that we are not where we need to be. And so there are several things that one would have to engage in. And I think for us, it really is a mindset challenge of just being able to celebrate the distinctions that everyone brings to the table. We're a little too traditional in what we look for, hope for, think for, and that we do way too much of socializing in all the significant behaviors with people who look like us, think like us, do what we do. So we form amen corners rather than challenge ourselves to broaden horizons and do something different. And so talk a little bit more about what you said in terms of two things caught my eye. One, or caught my ears. One, just if you could provide some definition around the disparities that you see. But also, I'd be curious if you could point out what you see as progress when you say we've, we've definitely made some progress. We're not there by any stretch of the imagination. But tell me what you see in terms of the progress that we have made in the last 32 years? Well, I, I have the wonderful opportunity of working with school-aged children and to see the environments that they are in, 
to um, see how they interact, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. And I just think what we have to do more of is changing the narrative uh, about what we assume about people who are perceived to be different and not us. Um, we're spending a little too much time focusing on differences when the big point is really all about similarities that we have and we should be focused on. And I think that moves the needle or the ball um, rather than just doing the same thing over and over again and having those same limited outlooks on people, situations, circumstances. We've got to change those narratives and we've got to share the stories. We don't do a really good job of telling the success uh, that we are experiencing. And I just think we need to just brag a little bit about ourselves and know that we need to leave room for future growth. I think that's where life finds us at this point. Um, but I am encouraged by youth. Always students make it happen. And so when I go into an elementary classroom or even a high school classroom, I am encouraged about the future. I really you, you see something different, let's say now, than maybe when you went in those classrooms 15 years ago. Oh, absolutely. And what is that talk? What is that different? Well, the difference is the attitudes that they bring, the questions that they ask, the friendships that they are establishing. You know, we have a lot of students that start in like kindergarten or first grade and they graduate together in 12th grade. And I just think that it warms my heart to see them engaging more, not just on a classroom level because they have to be there, but in social activities and you know, um, sharing with families and different celebrations. And I, I'm, I'm encouraged by that. The conversations are enriching, not as limiting as they once were. And um, I just think that you can see self-growth. You know, Nelson Mandela has a quote about going places and returning to the point and finding not so much the ways that your community has changed, but the ways in which you have changed. So I think when you have personal experiences, um, you are challenging your sense of the unknown. And in that challenge, your answers are more reflective of a wider circle than it has ever been. And that encourages me. Good. Um, and in terms of, I mean, I know it's a little obvious, but uh, you know, you're, you're certainly an expert in this area. When you talk about disparity, just define a little bit what, what those disparities are. Certainly. Um, when I think about disparities, I'm uh, speaking of healthcare disparities, I'm speaking of uh, financial or economic disparities. I'm, I'm thinking about all the red flag issues 
that make a distinction that really shouldn't. In um, 2022, it really shouldn't be as obvious of a pronouncement of differences. And so I think that is uh, attributed to clinging a little bit too long to traditional concepts and not widening the circle of opportunity and resources for growth and development. We know that. No one suffers from knowing what that, A, that there is a problem, B, in identifying the problem. What I think our greatest opportunity um, that is brilliantly disguised as a problem is for today is finding those uh, resources and narrative altering ways that we describe situations, circumstances, events, and individuals. So that kind of brings me to my next question, oh, which um, one of the fun things of this so far is just what you learn as you start to research the people you're going to speak to. So as I was doing my research on you, oh dear. I came across something called the biracial undergraduate learning experience that took place in 1993. Can you explain a little bit about what this course was? Yes. Um, actually, it's a, a dear friend, Dr. Norman Doach, who was quite popular in this community um, prior to retiring. And Norm, um, we got us all together and we were having a lunch powwow and we said, our students simply don't know each other. And if you go back a generation or two, their parents and their grandparents were never allowed to interact with each other. So what we would like to do um, is to form a human laboratory, um, i.e. an experience, a real life experience, where we put um, black students in white homes and white students in black homes. And I'm afraid we were very limited uh, with just the black and white perspective, but we should have broadened that even more, but we certainly took volunteers and that's what, uh, those were the brave people who volunteered and we were grateful for that. And in that situation, we allowed people to focus on the similarities that everybody brings. You know, because what we were troubled by were people, when we asked racial questions, people answered and didn't realize how limited that answer was, but people said, oh, I'm not prejudiced. I love my name. I love mine. But it wasn't the same. And so we said, we'll never reach a level of parity if we have these extremes interacting. Um, you know, we needed to get students with students who were going to talk and realize um, that the focus was less about race and it was more about the price of the textbooks. It was who's the best English professor, who's the best sociology professor or whatever. So it was to focus or bring them together and to talk about commonalities. 
and in talking about those commonalities, they would just see how much we celebrate together as opposed to be forced to focus on the differences. The, the black and whiteness was so mm, yesterday and we were trying to get them forward thinking to look at what really matters in your life. What are those issues? So I really applauded Norm for making that happen in our community. And I still, probably about three months ago, um, saw someone in a bookstore that was a part of that group and made me think about that. And she was saying all sorts of laudable things about how much um, that had helped her see beyond the simplicity of what just her family thought about people who were different. And so I, I think I would chalk that up as a very um, productive, progressive uh, experiment that we had. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think I read that the white student was placed in the black student's home for a period of 10 weeks, 10 non-stop weeks or something. I don't know that it was that long. I don't remember the length of time, but it was not just for a weekend. It was long enough to see families at work, um, how they um, handled crisis situations, what the level of communications were. So it was a period of time um, that we thought we didn't just want to um, show a minute or a snapshot. We wanted to really get students to see lifestyle issues. And did this only did this experience only last that one academic year? Absolutely, and I think that had more to do with funding than anything else. Is that something you could ever see coming around again? I mean, do you think there's some merit to to this approach? And is this something um, that you would support if someone brought this to you and said, "I think, I think." I, I think that could still be very useful in 2022, uh, 29 years later or whatever we are. Uh, yes. Could you could you get behind that? Um, I could, and but I think there are many. I, I think that the solution to our issues of race um, will come not as one single bullet, but it will be. Um, many, a plethora of opportunities that are very different. Because like I said, now we have kids who've been in school since kindergarten and they have sleepovers and they have people who um, don't look like them attend those. So I think, you know, once again, the children are leading the way. Um, they're far more progressive. And then it causes parents to be more progressive but I think that there are different things that I would like to do with adults. Um, have a common book read and have people come in and explain the way they incorporate or understand the dynamics in that particular text, uh, not textbook, but um, um, local reading. I, I think there's a program that Baton Rouge uh, hosted maybe three, four years ago. Um, my uncle did it, so that's why I'm familiar with it. It's called Race and Gravy, and it was at different uh, homes, and 
whoever was the captain of that particular dinner party um, had to invite a certain number of people. And I found that in that to be very enlightening and um, very productive. Uh, I hear, I still hear lots of comments and my uncle still engages in social activities with his group, with his dinner club group. So I'm encouraged by that. Do you think those kids, the kids that, that you see growing up with um, friends of other races, do you think do, do you think they stop seeing color? Do you think that in, in, in those situations, do you, is that what occurs or what? what or, well, or, to a certain point. And then, you know, it's almost uh, magical when things start happening like um, dating, um, maybe differences or strict lines are observed by families. But I, I am, uh, encouraged because there's interracial dating um, and so I my definition of love does not include such distinctions and I'm happy to see that there are many people who also uh, it does not it's not as love is not as limited as perhaps it once was and I'm thrilled by that So I heard you. I heard you in a previous interview reference a digital library the the university has begun to compile as part of its diversity, inclusion, and community engagement program. Can you talk a little bit about this and what is it and how can how can one access it? Absolutely. Um, I started this during the uh, George Floyd, right after the George Floyd incident because uh, on campus we want students to feel as welcome. We make a big deal about us having a sense of belonging and we are not married to ideas, we date them. Um, and so I wanted to get an understanding of what people were thinking and what um, they were experiencing, seeing this act over and over hearing comments here and there. So we provided this opportunity and asked people just, just at a gut level, what are you thinking? What's, what questions is this sponsoring for you? And how do you grow beyond? How do we as a community grow beyond this? And so we had several programs and several speakers uh, on campus uh, dedicated to this. What we really wanted with the digital project was to get uh, to those people who we hadn't heard their voice and we wanted to understand. And the beautiful thing about a university is that it's not one of those amen corners. We have people that think this way, people who think that way, and not that I wanted to change anybody's mind, I didn't. I wanted to get a meaningful conversation started. And I just thought that that would move us in the right directions. Because far too often we talk to people who look like us, who think like us, and create amen corners. And we're never challenged to a level of understanding that allows us to grow.
And I thought that was so important for us to do that. And I know that there were some people who maybe didn't want to put their whole name, Chad Michael Thurston III, on it, but could just make a comment or could just pose a question and could look at what the response was from their peers, from faculty members, from administrators. And I just thought it was unique. And I was not disappointed. We got, not everyone shared. We didn't have thousands. Is this asking people to record themselves or how exactly is this? No, we actually, it was just computer response, computer generated response. Okay, just, just, yeah. okay, yeah. written. Yes. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. Some people um, turned in uh, pictures of well-documented diversity spots they were in and with people that were very different. And I just think I didn't, I didn't want to nor try to manipulate the response. I just shared what we honestly received. I just wanted our community who I wanted us not thinking um, simple thoughts. I wanted us just to engage in an open expression of what was going on. And so once you compiled those responses, or once you received those responses, how were they compiled and then how, how we were We shared them that was, they were located in a book in the library for a period of time in my office for a period of time. And then we had um, Black Lives Matter. We did a, a very powerful video um, using, taking what we learned from that digital, the digital responses. We created a video with, that starts off with Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream. And then I asked people, students, faculty, community individuals, um, what is your dream for race? And we got uh, beautiful answers, and I wanted to showcase that. And we did, and it's still on our webpage. Um, we for then, the general public that wants to access, where do they go if they want to? To our homepage. In fact, when I get back to campus, I'll make sure that um, it's in a prevalent spot, but it's certainly in our dice. Okay. Webpage. Okay. Um, but then from there, we had uh, Black Lives Matters town hall sessions, and we invited people to come in, and we sort of selected specific topics, and we invited people in, as well as, uh, because we were doing this during COVID, I had to um, engage in COVID mitigation, so we couldn't have more than 50 people, but we presented it on Facebook Live. And we had um, up to 10,000 wow. kids. And so I just thought, this is really accomplishing what we wanted to. It sponsored a discussion. And a discussion that was not one-sided, but it was rich uh, in comments and in examples and understandings. And we were very proud of that very proud. So it led to other activities, which I think is what happens when you um, marry a progressive intent. You find many ways um, to meet those needs. And we did, delightfully so. 
And so I think that um, it, it stems to all the populations we wish to serve on campus. Remember, we wanted LSUS to be a very welcoming um, location at, for our students, but for our community as well. We certainly want it for our faculty members. And so in, in doing that, our challenge is to go beyond the obvious. And so we look at, um, I see part of my task on campus as increasing enrollment of the underrepresented minorities. And so we certainly focus on bringing their message to the forefront. Not so, the only thing I, I request and require is that we be respectful. That's all. I, you can ask any question as long as it is respectful. I'm with you until you become oppressive to someone else. And then that's not part of our, our planning. I don't even know how to articulate this, but how much of the race issue, since there's been maybe a long history in this community of not giving voice to that, not, not not having as many forums to verbalize and to speak to it. How much of that needs to occur as kind of an initial step of healing or of moving forward? Uh, does, does there need to be, is, like I said, I don't even know exactly how to articulate, but I almost feel like you, know, you almost have to put it out there and, and, and get it out before it can be dealt with and, 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 and addressed. Um, in, in, in a full comprehensive manner. Does, sure. does what I'm saying make sense at yeah. all? Well, uh, let me see if my okay. answer, okay. Uh, I know I'm to piggyback but, on that. Okay. My answer to that is we created a foundation. We looked at some, some issues of, of race, but I think now, remember, I'm not gonna focus on scarcity. I'm gonna, I really wanna come at you from an approach of abundance. And so now my approach is um, the things that we can celebrate together. So for example, I think our discussion of race has been far too white, too black. Um, you know, I think we should include the valuable comments and perspectives of others. So for example, we have a, a Asian celebration that we are having on next Thursday on campus. I hope you all can come. Um, this weekend on Saturday, we have, we're celebrating um, Holy, the celebration of spring with the color, throwing up the colors. Um, so my goal at this point uh, is to broaden the perspective of race. One of the lessons that we absolutely have to learn is that it's not just black and white. And so I think what my focus has been is to incorporate others into the discussion. And that's what I've been really busy about. Now, whether that is um, women, whether, uh, I don't know if that's new math or not, we are a majority, but still considered uh, minority, so certainly women, and I certainly don't, I'm not excluding the racial categories, 
but um, seniors, you know, those are who enjoy the north side of 60. I think that we should uh, have more programming uh, for them. I think um, we have a wonderful military community um, in the area. We should do more with that. The opportunities abound. My statement earlier about this being an opportunity that's brilliantly disguised as a problem, I think it's about us flipping that concept because we steer away from problems. We don't like conflict. We don't really know too much about conflict resolution. But we do know how to celebrate uniqueness, and that's what our focus is. We're welcoming everyone. I, I think what's really important or what helps me in this is that my philosophy, now remember, I'm an old school teacher. I've been at this for 32 years at LSUS. And my philosophy for education is that a university is a lot like a hospital who opens its doors to help all who wish to be healed, to wish to be aware, to inform how to live a better life. I think that we do similar things at the university. We open our doors and you must qualify you know, based on certain uh, issues, but we engage in testing. You get to select a major or a focal area, and then we prescribe classes, like a doctor would prescribe perhaps a solution. And I think that we've got to do more of, of that sort of projection that we are here to serve the community. And that means everyone in the community. So what's really got to be key is broadening the definition of who we're talking about and who's included. So Arthur Ashe, the great tennis player, yes. once was quoted as saying, start where you are, mm -hmm. use what you have, do what you can. Yes. This quote seems to line up with much of what I've read about you yes. and the way you think about and see the world. Yes. Can you talk a little about that? Yes. I, I think exposure is so key. You've got to be um, exposed to different concepts um, and different people. I just think it's so enriching. And I think here's where we are in Shreveport, Bossier. I include um, this area. And I think from there, it's like a flower that opens, that blooms, um, that we can grow into the strength of the type of community that we really should be. We're not where we are, but I think we should celebrate the accomplishments we have made thus far, and know that there's so much more for us to engage in, to learn, to grow from. And what's the fear, in your opinion, of why do people limit their exposure? And, and, and what are the fears you, you, you most often? Well, first I dissect that word, and I say fear. It's uh, false images appearing real. 
I, I don't like boogeymans or any of that. So it's like, is the monster really as bad as you think? And most often the answer is no. So I don't want to befriend fear as much as I want to gravitate toward love and understanding. So I would try to throw as much of that fear out. But fear is produced by uh, the element of change, the not knowing what change will look like. And that if the change um, is asking too much of you, well, uh, I, I don't support that. I don't. I'm ready to hit it straight on. Okay, so I'm down to my final question. Oh, yeah. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that it was not until recently that I first heard the following to describe Shreveport. Mm. When a majority becomes a minority. Mm -hmm. Are there cities around the country where the white majority became a minority? that Shreveport can use as examples of how to effectively navigate and manage this transition? Yes. That answer is uh, gonna cause me pausing to think about it for just a second because there are no perfect solutions and we are not the twin of any city. So I think more than um, selecting a particular city is I would approach that by looking at programs and different things that other places do that are worthy of our incorporation rather than just looking at the city. For me, it's the project, it's the program, and it's how it affects the people. That's what I would be concerned about. And yes, there are opportunities throughout the United States where um, people have done things just a little differently and they've gotten favorable responses. And I think that's what we should be looking for, not so much a model city as what works best for us because we're Shreveport and we, at Shreveport Bossier, and we have uh, unique characteristics. And I think that we should look at more of an eclectic model of selecting programs and projects that would be meaningful and significant to people in Shreveport. Not everything in New Orleans or New York or Boston is gonna work in Shreveport. So I would venture not to select a city, but I would much rather look at um, an eclectic model of what people are doing that renders the best results. And that's what I would try to incorporate into Shreveport. I think we deserve the uniqueness. When I said celebrate the uniqueness, I don't want to make us the mirror twin of anywhere else. And yes. do you know, because I, I, I don't know, and I mean, I, I, I assume there are numerous cities around the country where this has happened, where the whites were the majority. The whites were the majority, and suddenly they find themselves as the minority, and that's never going to change. 
Are there? Well, Atlanta uh, is an example, would be an example. There are pockets everywhere where this is going on. But if you look at a city like Atlanta, I think when the reins of economic opportunity are released or many people can be affected by it rather than just a narrow selective group, you see a different, it's a very different place than what it was. There's an excellent book that is called When Peachtree Meets Sweet Auburn. And Peachtree, of course, is, would be the uh, white uh, established um, entrepreneurs uh, who were doing quite well economically. And Sweet Auburn was the place where uh, the cradle of African-American economic growth. And when those two groups met, it looks at two different mayors and their response to problems and issues related to a city. And um, it causes one to think uh, about what the denial of opportunity and resources generation after generation will do versus a complete sharing of those economic resources. It's a different day in Atlanta. Thank you, Dr. Franklin, for so making the welcome. time to come and visit with us and yes. share your perspective and your expertise and your wisdom. We're oh. very grateful. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely.